lies. 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 Human lies. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rancid Taco Movie Review Podcast. I'm Skylar Sanders here with my rebellious second-in-command ape, Koba, or Mason Weir. You can't call me second-in-command when you said I was the alpha ape last week. Well, he's still an alpha ape. He's just not the alpha ape. And we're talking about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which got 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it came out in 2014. Damn, 90% is pretty good. Yeah, it's better than the last one. But you are right about the titles being really dumb. There's no dawning. <laughs> There's nothing dawn about this movie. Yeah, I'm not sure why they went with these titles, but uh, they did what they did, and there's no going back now. The apes are already established. It's their planet, pretty much, and they've well dawned. We're, we're at noon, maybe mid-afternoon with these apes. Yeah, these apes, are they're, they're well into the afternoon, and uh, I think uh, something like 10 years has, has elapsed. Yeah, it's uh, Maurice tells Caesar at some point that 10 years has gone by since the events of the first movie. Where we left off the first movie was the apes had taken the redwood forest from the police and from the city of san francisco and apparently yeah. they just owned the forest yeah mirror 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 forest m-u-i-r mirror forest mirror forest more mirror more mirror more mirror please if you don't mind but before we get into the continued plot we have a whole brand new cast that we can talk about except for andy circus everyone is different now that is, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, I like that. But I will say, this is my favorite movie of the three, but it, I think it had the worst cast of the three. And that's even including Gary Oldman, who I agree with you is amazing. But I wasn't incredibly impressed with him in this movie. And he, he was the best part of the cast, I think. Yeah, I thought, I really wish he'd have had some more stuff. Like he just, he, he gets a fun little character sort of, and they don't really make much of the character. No, I think he has one scene where they kind of humanize him a little bit and make it personal, but the rest of the time, it's pretty cliche for him. Yeah, and he nails. As I, I was look, I was watching that scene. I'm probably, I'm sure we're thinking of the same scene, and I was just like, wow, see how, how good of an actor he is. Just give him some more stuff, man. Make yeah, that, a, that's all they gave him. One scene. Yeah, and he he just he flashed in that scene, but other than that, it's just kind of. Uh, you know, just regular, regular old stuff for him. And if you don't know Gary Oldman, he was Commissioner Gordon in the Dark Knight trilogy. He was Sirius Black in the Harry Potter series. And he's been in a billion movies. You should know who Gary Oldman is. Yeah, Gary Oldman is one of the greatest character actors uh, around. Yeah, we talked about him somewhat extensively last week. And he's the lead villain, I guess, kind of, in this movie. Sort of. I, I, he kind of qualifies the villain, kind of not really. It, all, in all of these movies, the lines of villains are sort of blurred. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's, yeah. sort of, it's sort of like they're, they're, they're villainous to, to the apes, but at the same time, they're fighting to defend themselves in a sense. So it's hard to label them villains, even though they're usually kind of labeled that. 
Yeah, and I, I take it back. He's definitely not the lead villain because the lead villain in this one is Koba, who we met yeah. last week in The Rise of the Apes. This time he's played by a different actor, and I bet you didn't catch this. Guess who that actor is that plays Koba? Well, I mean, I know because I have it pulled up in front of me. It's Toby Cabell. Okay, well, you did get it. Though. It is Toby, <laughs> it, it, Toby Cabell. But do you know? Do you recognize that face? Uh, I re- yeah, I recognize the actor, but I'm just not super familiar with a bunch of his. I, I know I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. I just remember him from the Black Mirror episode. The very, I think it was the first Black Mirror episode. The entire history of you, the one where he can know his girlfriend's sexual past, and it leads to him basically going the same. I don't know. You oh, said yeah. you like that episode a lot. And like he he uh, yeah, he closes his eyes and like can replay all the memories and things like that. Yeah, he's great in that in that episode and that's the only thing I think I've seen him in. But he yeah. does the CGI for Koba in this one. Yeah, he's really good in that. In fact, it was interesting that they that they that he got cast at the, as that character cuz I would not think of him off the bat as a Koba type character. No, he seems kind of uh, nice and and friendly, but Koba is as nasty as they come. Yeah. We we kind of skipped over Andy Circus because we talked about him last week, but he still kills it in this movie as yeah. well. Yeah, he's excellent. But the the interesting thing to me about Koba is his arc throughout this movie, like because I think he does sort of start with pretty good intentions and and uh and then, you know, just the classic power grab at you know, he just get, it gets him it gets to him. Yeah, outside of a few moments toward the end, we might be able to make a case for Koba not really being that bad, though I, he does end up being the main villain. Yeah, uh, but- he, well, he, he turns pretty bad, but you could make a case for what he's doing if Caesar would have kind of gone along with it. But then once he once he starts doing some dirty shit, then you're like, oh, Koba, no. Yeah, Koba, don't do it. But, but old Don't Koba, do it, buddy. He was destined to be evil, and he fulfills that destiny in this one. He's the star of the show in this one, I think. He's really good. The act, yeah. the, the character, the performance, the arc, like you said, it's all really good for Koba. Yeah, it's definitely definitely Koba's show. But uh, also, he talks better than Caesar. So I'm like, maybe they should be following him. Yeah, he does talk way better than Caesar, I think. He, uh, he's definitely, uh, he's definitely tre- like crafty smart, like strategic smart. Yeah, he's, he's a golem type. Yeah. Maybe Circus should have played both those guys. <laughs> Maybe he should have played every single ape. Maybe he should have been every character. Yeah. Not the human characters. I don't I, I like Andy Circus a lot better when you can't see as much of him. Yeah, he does a good job in the uh, Black Panther movie though. Yeah, he plays a plays a real real live human, no CGI. And he's uh he does a good job. Well, speaking of humans, there's a pretty big cast of somewhat important humans in this movie mm-hmm. and i'll kind of run through them real quick there's cody smith mcphee who plays a young boy and the son of the main protagonist main human protagonist do you recognize this kid uh no he was the little boy in the movie the road with, i've never uh, seen Vig- that. you've never seen that with viggo mortensen uh-huh. I don't think so, no. Uh, oh, man, it's a great movie. And it's a great book, but it's very sad. If you, uh, you you said you're a big crier at movies, you'll cry during that one for sure. Uh, I cried a few times in this one. Did you? No. Oh, I didn't either. But The Road's <laughs> a different story. There's also Carrie Russell, 
Well, I don't think I've seen her in anything, but apparently she's a legend in acting. She has her really? own Hollywood star and everything. Really? I I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I don't recognize her from anything. I don't either, but she was the star of a show called Felicity, and apparently she was in the last Star Wars movie, which I would like to forget, so I yeah. didn't remember her from that. I'd like to forget all the Star Wars movies for the most part. Yeah, we've we've talked about that, but the last one, it just changes my whole opinion about the, the entire series. They screwed up Star Wars so bad with that. Yeah, they to me, they, they were always just kind of like, eh, okay, they're whatever. You know, it's just a little too Hollywood for me. And then, yeah, this last one, they broke a bunch of their own rules and brought people back and crazy shit was going on. I was just, I was just disappointed with yeah. more than normal. Well, she was in it, and I blame her for it being partially bad. Even though I don't remember what character she was, I'm going to just rub some stink on her for that. Yeah, she was She was the main culprit, I'm sure. There also was a guy I did really like named uh, Kirk Acevedo. Yeah. I've seen him in The Walking Dead. He was in three or four episodes of that, but he had a very memorable role. He was also in Band of Brothers, and he's been in a lot of Law & Order, like SVU episodes. He plays Carver, one of the villainous humans. Yeah, he does a really good job. Yeah, he's excellent. And then the human lead is a guy named Jason Clark. Kind of interested to see what you think about him because he seems like a pretty good actor, and I've seen him in a bunch of things. But I I don't know. I just didn't love the character in this one. Yeah, he didn't blow me away. Like, his character was interesting because he was one of the only characters that understood that the apes were not all bad, but... He and he did his part. Like the character wasn't bad, but yeah, I was not blown away by the acting performance for sure. Yeah, it it seemed like maybe if they had more time for him, they could have done more. But the entire every every bit of the human storylines, I just found myself not caring as much in this yeah. in this particular movie. Not like the last one. Well, at least they didn't go with like a, a beautiful young star like James Franco for this one. They went with you know some. <laughs> Some actual, you know, gritty actors. Yeah, I I looked up some more about James Franco after we talked about him last week, and apparently he really is in some some hot shit, man. He might be in some trouble. Yeah, he's completely canceled. Yeah, he's he's done for. And we yeah. we probably we probably shouldn't even mention him on the podcast. Now we're gonna get. <laughs> Do you get some royalty money for appearing on a camcorder in a movie? Yep. Yeah, he would get money for that. So even though he probably didn't have to work even a little bit not even a day on set you think he gets paid for this yeah well he probably had to film that scene i doubt that 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 was a scene that they had canned it was probably a, a film scene that they made but if it was canned he he would still get paid just for appearing you think yeah yes oh, well that's interesting yeah not a bad uh paycheck yeah so spoiler alert he makes a short small appearance at the end on a camcorder yeah so that's all I wrote down for the cast. Did you have anyone else to bring up? Uh, no, no, uh, I don't think so. Uh, and, and were there any corrections from Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Because I don't actually think we messed up too much in that one. I didn't notice any. I'm sure we could find something, but uh, I didn't pick up any off offhand. I meant to go back and look up if you could get killed from using a stun gun while being shot with a water hose, but I, I never oh, yeah. Did. It's all a thing of chance. Like I don't think it. I don't think it would just 
definitely kill somebody. I think it's something that might kill you, but it'd have to work out perfectly. Hey, well, just dig in, man, because we're going to find out the truth one day. And it's nice when you have a, a firm opinion that, that can be proven wrong. <laughs> you it would, might you kill would. you every time for all we know. You would love that, wouldn't you? I would like that, at least. Though I agreed with you, so I can't really uh, claim a victory there. Yeah. I'm not sure that it would have killed you either. But you'd still claim a victory, I'm sure. I will. And I'm going to claim a victory in this one, too. So let's just go ahead and get started with that. Oh, God, here we go. Here we go. So the movie begins with kind of the way the last movie ended. It's a continuation of this pandemic montage, and it's showing you the the map with all the the flight lines. And the lights of the Earth are slowly dwindling as a newscaster and various newscasters are reading these news reports of society collapsing after the global pandemic of the simian flu. And the one thing, the lines are different, though. They're red now. They were orange in the credit scene from the last one, or epilogue, if you will. What do you think that means? Well, it's just danger. It's higher level of danger, you know. Okay. I I think there's a little plot hole here. A couple, ah. actually. I want to go ahead and just get into them. So at the end of the last movie, the apes take the forest, and they've defeated the police, and then the pandemic starts. So how did, did the police not go after the apes in between that time? Because we know a pandemic takes weeks or months to really get going. It's not like mm-hmm. the world ended as soon as the apes took that forest. Yeah, I never thought of that. I guess they just kind of were like, well, we didn't get them. Fuck it. Let them yeah. have the forest. They're just like, all right, screw these apes. Even though they killed dozens of policemen, you know that's not going. If you hurt a cop or kill a cop, they're coming at you, man, hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they're, they're just like, uh, well, the apes took off and they won the fight. And, hey, the San Francisco Giants are playing. Let's go catch a game. Yeah, that's, spread, that's kind spread of some Spread some simian flu around. So they, apparently, the world either ended that day, I guess there was so much chaos from the pandemic that they didn't have time to worry about the apes, or they just said, ah, screw it, let's just let the apes have the forest. But I have to say, San Francisco deteriorates pretty quickly. Like, in 10 years, it looks like an absolute, just lush garden growing over the whole city. Yeah, it is 10 years, we find out in a later conversation, but 10 years passes, and basically the world is void of all humans. On the globe that they show, they show these dots of light going out, meaning that power has been lost in these areas, and they slowly go out to where the entire globe is black. And everyone, and, everyone's dead. Yeah, and everyone's, that's what I was saying, indicated, like, because it was like dots of tracing humans who had the disease, and then all of a sudden it just slowly goes down to nothing because they're all dead. Yeah. So the rise and dawn both happened last movie. It seems like the apes have been running shit. Maybe they, the humans fought for a while, but the apes have been running shit ever since that day on the bridge, is my, yeah. my take. Well, they've definitely, they've definitely been living out on their own because they got a nice little uh, uh, ape camp set up. They got jagged logs everywhere and a sweet tree house. And they also have a full stock of horses. Where did they get these horses? Yeah. Where did they get the horses? They have an entire army's worth of horses. And I, I tried to think this through. Maybe they stole some from the cops that were fighting them on the bridge. But even then, they didn't have that many horses. They would have had to have bred and raised these horses. Yeah. Maybe they ventured out to some farms around and captured the horses and took them or something. I, I don't know. It doesn't uh, make a whole lot of sense, but 
we could make up some justification for it. Yeah, I, I tried, but I think it's basically just they wanted these monkeys riding horses because it looks awesome, so they've got horses. Yeah, it was that one scene with uh, Caesar in the end of the last one where he's riding the horse, and they just were like, ooh, that looks pretty badass. Let's, let's, put, let's put him on a horse a bunch in the next one. And to be fair, it does look pretty badass, so I'm, I'm all right with it, even though it's kind of an obvious small plot hole. Yeah. So we get our look now at the apes in the jungle. It's it, the movie starts with a close up of Caesar, and he's so hardened now. He's such a badass. Yeah, he's a straight up warrior. Yeah, they all have this war paint on their faces, and they're going on a group hunt to kill some deer. Is this not the worst tactic you've ever seen to kill a deer, <laughs> though? Yeah, it's like why do why do the big yell? Yeah, what's the point? So Caesar and his son, Blue Eyes. He has a son now who who's about teenage. It seems like maybe mm. I, I don't know how to age him, but he seems like a teenager. Yeah. And they're up in these trees and all these other apes are with them and they're spying on this herd of deer. And they I guess the goal is to spook these deer to go running into Koba and his crew that has spears and they're going to kill these deer. Mm-hmm. Is that I mean, come just jump well, on one of the deer. They're all standing there. That that I mean, scaring them towards another pack of your people—that's a that's a pretty common tactic that humans have used over time. But that there's so many deer, and they start yelling, and there's only a few uh, apes over there, so most of the deer just run right by them. They don't even kill that many deer. I'm just wondering, what's the why, why do the big yell and scare them? Yeah, what well, was it, it was pretty ineffective. I didn't about, see them catch any deer, but one deer. Yeah, how about they just, like, he lowers his arm real fast and they all throw spears down there and start spearing them, you know? Yeah, you could get five, six, seven deer that way, I would think. That's what I would have done. Or maybe even drop on their back and just, you know, choke them out or do whatever you got to do. But anything but have them run into your apes, because those apes actually take some punishment. Oh, yeah, they get their asses stomped. Yeah, it's pretty pretty funny. I'd, I'd never noticed that until I watched it this time. And I was like, wow, that's terrible. What a terrible tactic. And to make it even worse, the the one deer they do manage to catch, it's Caesar's son that goes up to kill him. He's I guess he's like tied up in some ropes and he's going to stab him with a spear. And a gigantic grizzly bear pops out of the the bushes and attacks Blue Eyes. Yeah, he's been laying him wait. He was the smart he was the smart one. He waited to he hid and waited waited to get him alone. Yeah, that was a, a smart move by the bear and he gets the best of Blue Eyes right away. Though I still got to say, this bear fight, it's not as good as the bear fight in The Revenant. There's still no bear fight that's as good <laughs> yeah. as the one in The Revenant. Well, I mean, we'll just put a disclaimer out from your point of view. There are no bear fights that are ever going to live up to The Revenant bear fight. How many movies have bear fights? This is three movies we've talked about now that had a bear fight. Yeah, I, I don't know. You ever, watch, you ever watch Bear Man? Uh, the documentary of the guy, the documentary of the guy that went and lived with bears? Didn't he get eaten by a bear at the end of the yeah. documentary? Yeah, or Grizzly Man, maybe that was what it was called. No, I'm going to have to check that out. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, like he goes and lives with bears. He's like, oh, they're misunderstood and what, whatever. And then he goes and he's sleeping with some hibernating bears in a, in a bear cave. And he catches the whole audio of these bears just ripping him to shreds. Oh, brutal. Murdering him, yeah. And his, <laughs> his wife or girlfriend or whatever, I think she like tries to run away or something. They kill her maybe too. God. Could you imagine the worst death than getting eaten alive by a bear? Because they don't kill you right away. It's just like white people, man. What are you doing out there? It's not. Don't go hang out with bears. That's yes. not like. It's not cool. 
Well, long ago, we already talked about it. When it comes to bears, if it's black, attack. If it's brown, lay down. Yeah. So you got to play dead for a grizzly bear. But if it's a black bear, you got to throw the first punch. Yeah, you got to you got to intimidate it. A little PSA for all the backpackers out there. And then the the most famous tactic is just shoot your friend and hope the bear takes <laughs> takes a while eating your friend. By the way, this bear attacks blue eyes. He slices him and gives him a nice little nice scar on his chest. But Caesar comes to the rescue. He has a spear in hand, but he drops it and jumps on the bear's back and then gets between the bear and his son. And it is pretty brave and badass of Caesar to stand yeah. between this bear and his son. But why did Caesar not do what Coba does immediately after that? And just <laughs> stab the bear in the back of the head with the spear and be done with it. Oh, that's a sick kill right there, too. Oh, it's awesome. He comes sprinting and leaps off this rock. It's like off the top rope with the flying spear drop and right in the bears through the bear's back. And he stabs the stabs the bear through the back, and the bear falls down on Caesar. And this moment of tension, of course, we know he's not going to be dead because it's the beginning of the movies. But there's this moment of tension of whether Caesar's okay. Then he gets up and he like laughs. He's like, "Thank you, thank you, Coba." Yeah. And Coba's like, "Yeah, idiot." <laughs> yeah. So Caesar had called for help, and Coba is the one that comes to the rescue. So the point of this scene is not only to show that Caesar has a son. But the, the son might kind of idolize Koba more than his own father a bit or agree with his tactics. Or in this case, he, you know, he's saved by Koba, not yeah. his father. And it also lends to the idea that maybe Caesar is resting on his laurels a bit and kind of letting his leadership skills slip. Yeah, I guess you could take that or that Koba is an allegiant, uh, excellent general because he, he's leading his own his own group of uh, apes and... Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know exactly if you're what you're supposed to take from it, other than other than uh, Koba is uh, is a down ass ape who's who's good to have on your side, I guess. Yeah, he single handedly takes out this huge grizzly. And then the last thing I wanted to mention about this scene, which struck me as very weird, is once it's just Caesar and his son. Caesar yells at Blue Eyes like he did something wrong. He says, you got to watch what you're doing, kid, or be more careful out there. Think, this guy says, did nothing wrong at all. He says, think before you act, son. And then the and then Blue Eyes gets pissed off because, like, yeah, well, I guess rightfully, like, all he was doing was going to kill that, that deer. How he, how was he supposed to know there was a bear lying in wait? Yeah, cut him a break, Caesar. Yeah, Caesar's like that father that's like, well, I told you not to do that. Well, maybe I didn't tell you, but you should have known. You should have known, boy. Yeah. Yeah, so Caesar's kind of a dick here, and Koba kind of looks uh, nice in blue eyes. Blue eyes is eyes. Well, that's weird. Yeah. And then they're, they're like, walking back through the camp, and Koba says something like, don't worry, scars make us stronger or something like yeah. that. Yeah, scars make apes strong, yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely a little bit a little bit of a bonding between blue eyes and Koba going on there. Yep. So after the deer hunt, we kind of get a look at the ape community, and they've set up, like you mentioned, the shelters, they all have a place to sleep. And Maurice, the giant orangutan from the last movie, has set up a school and he's teaching all the young apes. So they're really making a colony here. Yeah, and there's really only three things on the chalkboard. And I think one is uh, ape, not kill ape. And uh, the other, one of the other is apes together are strong. 
And then the last one I think was going to be knowledge is power, but I just see knowledge is blank, and then you can't see the rest of it. Well, that's just one day's lesson, but that's really all you need to know, I guess. That's, those are Caesar's teachings. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But along with that colony growing, we also see a little bit of growth from Caesar's immediate family as he goes home to find that his wife Cornelia has given birth to yet another son. Mm. And so when you think about this, his wife is giving birth that morning. They have midwives all around, these ape midwives. Yeah. And, and they're helping deliver the baby. His wife is very sick, and it's a very dangerous and traumatic birth. And Caesar is out hunting with the boys. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that hunting, uh, getting the food is pretty fucking important. There you were know? 70, 80 other apes that looked like they're on that hunt. Caesar did not need to be there. He probably could have taken the day off, I, I'm sure. Yeah, take the day off for the birth of your child, man. But that's how, that's how you know, uh, apes respect the strong one. If he doesn't go out on that hunt pretty soon, you know, somebody's taken over even quicker than Koba. Uh, sometimes you got to put your ego aside and, and be there for your sick wife who's, who's dying during this childbirth. And she's not hey, doing well with this childbirth. Well, you know what struck me about the scene was that the apes were all wearing face masks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought about that. Were the face masks really necessary for these apes? Yeah, these apes are smarter than humans, I know. They, they, even they know to wear face masks around. Well, just the uh, doctor apes were wearing masks. Everyone else was maskless. Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure how effective those masks were either because they literally just looked like feathers hanging over their face. Yeah, so. it looked like a hula skirt worn around the head. Yeah, it was tre- It was very trendy. Like it looked. Nice. I'd like to have one, but... Uh, it didn't look very effective. Yeah, we, we kind of get more backstory with the rest of the crew, the ape crew. So they're still from the last movie. I, I pointed them all out then, but there's Maurice Koba, who's the right-hand man of Caesar. There's Rocket, who has kind of fallen down the ladder a little bit, but he's a loyal ape lieutenant. And then there is uh, his son, Rocket's son, Ash, who is the best friend of Blue Eyes, and that's Caesar's son. Yeah. So we see Ash and Blue Eyes now in a scene, walking through the woods, talking, kind of BSing around, and they just happen upon one of the last surviving humans on, on the Earth who is Carver, the, the guy we mentioned at the beginning as being a villainous human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Carver is freaked out because he hasn't seen these apes, I guess, over the last 10 years, and the apes haven't seen him. He pulls a gun out and shoots Ash out, out of fright. He doesn't kill him, luckily, but he does shoot Ash. Yeah, it's just like, I, I mean, I, I, when I thought, saw this, I was like, why is he pulling the gun out and shoot again? But then I have to think, oh, yeah, it's a wild ape to him, not a smart ape. So he doesn't know what's, he doesn't, you know, he's yeah, not he's, thinking. Of, he hasn't seen, he hasn't seen the first movie like we saw it. He's probably scared to death, and I would be too. And if I had a gun, maybe, uh, if you felt threatened, you wouldn't be blamed, I, w- I would think, for doing that. Probably not. But he is blamed because his human companions catch up right after that. And this is where we meet Jason Clark's character, Malcolm, along with his wife slash girlfriend. I guess his wife is dead, but that's yeah. his girlfriend now. It's another survivor. Her name is Ellie. She's mm. uh, somehow a vet again because she's a for- she was a former nurse, I believe. Uh, and Malcolm's second wife, it says here. 
Yeah, so they just really minimize these female leads. This girl is the female lead. And they don't give her anything, just like the last movie. Mm-hmm. She has a scene or two where she's a, she heals things because she's a healer and she's a good conscience for the main character, but that's about it. Even Cornelia doesn't get any good scenes. I mean, come on. No, Cornelia just lays there dying most of the time. Yeah. From this childbirth. And then we see their son, which is the uh, Smith McPhee guy I mentioned at the beginning. And that is Malcolm's biological son. So he has a lot at stake here for protecting his own. Yeah. And then there's a few others, yada, yada, is what I wrote down. So not hey. only I, I got your yada in there, but that's how I feel about these other characters. Like, who, who cares? Feels good to just write people off with a good yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yada, yada, whatever. But there's a bunch of humans. They all yell at their buddy, Carver, for shooting that ape. And Caesar Whoa. shows up. One thing that I wanted to mention that it's thematic throughout all, all three of these movies is the father-son relationship. So <clears throat> in the first movie, it's like Caesar is sort of a son to, uh, to James Franco, but his father is sick and he's like trying to help him. So there's, there's this father-son theme that prevails throughout all three movies. Even when we get to the third movie, there's even more stuff going on with the father-son relationship. So so it is, it is, it's kind of an important theme of the script. That's a good catch, too. And it is like that. And Blue Eyes, in particular, is very prominent in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly hope nothing happens to him in the first 20 minutes of the next movie because that, <laughs> that would <laughs> be, be horrible. crazy. That would, just that would be, be horrible. That would set, set Caesar off on a rampage, I think. It might. But we'll, we'll get to that one next week. Uh, for now, <laughs> Blue Eyes is pissed off that. His friend was shot, and all the other apes are pissed, too, and they want to kill these humans, uh, specifically Carver. But Caesar shows up, he, he holds everyone back, and he yells at the humans. He's now expanded his vocabulary from no to go. <laughs> yeah, one letter, one letter difference. And he says, go, go. And then Koba copies him, and, and he goes, Go. Koba's uh, speech is great, man. It sounds so sinister and shrieky. Yeah. I just love the way every time Koba talks, it's just so wicked sounding. Yeah, I like I like a few of his of his speeches. So uh the humans all run away. They're allowed to escape, but Koba and some of the other apes follow them back to their base so the apes can now get more intel on these humans. Which they previously had thought that all humans were gone and dead. Maurice and Caesar said, had a conversation earlier. They, they were saying something like, do you think they're all dead? Do you think any humans are still alive? And they hadn't seen one, I think they said, for, for two winners. And Caesar even admits at one point to kind of missing them a little bit. So that was cool. Yeah, he says he still thinks about them. But then he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, but they all destroyed each other. What does it matter now? Yeah, so so the humans all ride back to their base, and they're followed by the apes, and here is where they meet their leader, played by Gary Oldman, and his name is Dreyfus, or Dreyfus. I'm going to go with Dreyfus. Uh, Dreyfus, yeah. So Dreyfus is the leader of this surviving human colony, and they're all immune to the simian flu, so that's why they, they lived. Yeah, they're, they have, uh, and, and they established that in the car at some point, or when they're talking, we're uh carrie russell character ellie says we're all we all already have immunities to it that's the reason we're not dead yeah 
So Koba goes back and reports that they have their own settlement, and he and Caesar have the first of many arguments about what the apes should do in regards to these humans. Koba, in his mind, wants to just go and wipe them all out. Caesar thinks they should just leave each other alone, and, and that will be good enough. Well, yeah, the, the big point is, is uh, Koba says they're, they're weak. We should attack them before they become dangerous, which is a good point. That's a good, that's a strategy that they should think about. And, but then uh, Caesar counters him by saying they look, they seem desperate. If I don't let them, you know, if I, if I don't let them, they'll cut, they might come attack. Both fair points. And Caesar, yeah. Caesar is right because they are desperate enough to attack if they don't get what they need, which we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Uh, I, I, here's where I wrote down, where do they get the horses? Because <laughs> Caesar's decision is to ride back to the colony as a show of force, kind of. And they all arm themselves and ride to the human colony and tell them, you know, leave us alone. The forest is our home and we'll leave you alone. And that's what he hopes is good enough. Yeah, and he returns the bag for the kid, uh, uh, Alexander, Malcolm's son. Yeah, his the kid left his bag there. So he shows that he's more than just an ape. He's a leader, and he's capable of speech and thought. So they should be able to coexist. But right away, the humans panic as soon as the apes all leave. Yeah, they're not going to let the apes live in peace, though. No, it was destined to be this, to be this battle. There are so, so few good humans and apes. It seems like that it's just, yeah. it's got to be this way. Well, and you think about humans, like, they don't even let other humans that are different colors live in peace. So they're not going to let an ape live in peace throughout this whole, you know, they're not going to coexist like that. Yeah. And that's, we talked in the last one about maybe there being a theme or a message that this series is saying. And I'm still, after this movie, I'm not entirely sure. It seems like they're saying something about judging races and, and grouping things together, grouping people, not yeah, just I humans, think, but apes as well. I think you could make a, you could definitely make an argument that, uh, that the, uh, it has to do with not judging people or th- other things that are different than you, you know, looking for, look for the similarities with each other, as opposed to the differences. So you can avoid all this bloodshed and horror for both sides. I think that's probably the main, the main message that's kind of going on, but it, it doesn't, it's not, it's not pounded into you, so it's kind of under the surface a little bit. Yeah, in this one, I, I agree that probably is what it is. In the last one, it seemed like they were saying maybe don't play God, don't push science too far, because mm, yeah. maybe I don't, I don't know. It, it seemed like if they hadn't done that, they wouldn't be where they're at now. That's true. I could see that one from that last movie. Yeah, or maybe they were just trying to uh, sell a bunch of movie tickets and. And show horses and or apes, <laughs> apes riding horses with spears. Yeah, and uh, attacking, jumping out onto helicopters and taking down helicopters. Yeah, but they uh, they don't really agree. They don't resolve their differences. Each side is is plotting against the other after this meeting at the colony. Yeah, they're definitely both both sides are definitely preparing for the worst. So Oldman's character here, I think this is somewhat interesting. He wants to just go and kill all the apes. The reason being, they have to use a dam that is in the forest there. And the only way to get to this dam to generate power for their colony is to go through the apes' territory. Uh, Malcolm wants to try to do it peacefully because he understands Caesar's intelligence. But Oldman just wants to wipe them out and be done with it. 
But he doesn't he doesn't get this message across in a villainous way. He he plays it like a uh, like he he's right. You know, he believes he's right to make this decision. Yeah, that's I mean, and they do have to get the dam if they want electricity going because they're they have like two weeks of fuel left, they say. So he's a leader of this uh, surviving human camp. So, yeah, he's going to he's going to have to use whatever means necessary. And but he does let Malcolm go up and try to talk to him. Yeah, he gives him three days. He says, I'm going to go check out the armory and make sure all our weapons still work. And while I'm doing that, you've got three days to negotiate with these apes. And if you die, you die. Yeah. So if it seems like maybe a suicide mission for Malcolm to go. Talk he's like, to yeah, apes. if you don't come back within three days, we're coming up there and we're killing them all. Yeah, we're going to kill every last one of them. So Malcolm has a deadline to make peace with these apes and get their permission to go use this dam. Yeah. This damn dam. The damn dam. Where do I get some damn bait? <laughs> so there's a little bit of human backstory here. And I'm not going to lie. I just zoned out for this. I just. I didn't care. I mean, I didn't care about Jason's uh, backstory because why would really. you care in this case where it's it's a pandemic? Literally every person that you see on the screen has a horrible story to tell. Yeah. It's like that's why I can't not like I can't dislike Carver that much because he talks about the way he feels about apes. I'm like, well, he kind of has a point too. I mean, shit. It's not their. It's not the apes' fault or anything like that. But yeah, he's probably looking at them in a certain way, being like, "These fucking apes. They're, they're the reason." Yeah, if it wasn't for the apes, we wouldn't be where we're at right now. Which that isn't true. But he can't know that. He didn't know that it started with one particular ape in a lab that humans created this virus. Yeah, and how Ellie Carrie Russell's character knows that, I don't know. And you know, the the more I think about this the more I would really like to see what happened in between these two movies, not just for the apes, but for the humans, because they referenced several times in passing, no kid should have to see the things he's seen, or you don't want to go back to the way things were, stuff like that. So what were these guys having to do before this calling? Were they cannibalizing people and well, I mean, murdering it does, people? Through the, uh, the newsreel at the beginning, we get a pretty heavy sense of, like once the virus starts taking people out, then the people start panicking, and martial law gets declared on all the all the places, and they have checkpoints, and people are just killing each other, and yeah, humanity just goes crazy. And then That's one wild. one voice one voice at the end of it says, "If the virus, you know, maybe this is how it ends. If the virus doesn't kill us, the war will." Yeah, so there it's humans warring is what uh, yeah, against, to get from against, that against each other. Just society just breaking down. Yeah, that's the. Uh... That's scary because it always seems like we're on a razor's edge with that. It seems very, very plausible that everything could just break down very quickly. It certainly has seemed that way in the last two years. No doubt about that. So I I would like to see how that went down with the humans. But in this case, it's just Malcolm saying he misses his wife and he's glad to have Ellie as his new wife. And he has to take care of his son. Like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All that. So they all go up together to, to the ape colony, and Carver has to go with them, even though he shot uh, Ash. He has to go because he used to work at an electric uh, factory or, or whatever, electric mm-hmm. plant. So he's yeah. the only one that knows how to get the dam up and running. The damn dam. He has to get the damn dam going. Yeah. So Malcolm goes into the colony by himself, and it's a really nice scene. It's raining, muddy. 
uh, he's he's spotted right away by this gorilla, and then he carried on his back to Caesar. Yeah. But how did pink- he how did he walk right by that gorilla? The dude, the dude's huge. He's chilling right there on the so, sort of on the side. And then he walks past him. He's kind of peeking around. Then the gorilla just takes one step out of the shadows, sort of, and is like behind him. Yeah, that that gorilla was hiding. Man, he's a sentry. I guess. I I mean, I don't know. How do you hide a, a six foot eight gorilla or whatever it was? But okay. Well, that particular gorilla is a named character as well, and his name is Luca. Oh and yeah. He, he has a bigger role in the next movie, but they give him just enough camera time in this one, so you're not completely unfamiliar with him in, in the next movie yeah he's cool yeah he is he is cool so they uh they take malcolm to caesar caesar shows a little bit of mercy and he against against the recommendation of coba which coba is great here I man. he's standing behind malcolm with this spear inches away from his neck just ready to plunge yeah. it into him and kill him human lies human lies yeah but but Caesar says, and I wrote down here, Caesar really sucks at talking. Caesar says, show me. me. <laughs> yeah, he's really slow. It's like Koba's having no problem spitting these words out, but Caesar's like, show me. Yeah, Caesar's not so great at talking, considering he's the godfather of all these apes. But Yeah, considering he said the first word. Yeah, he, he said the first word, but it, he didn't progress much after that. Maybe you're right. Maybe he's resting on his laurels too much. He's been doing too much making babies and not enough, uh, you know, evolving. Yeah, he's got to evolve and hone his skills like Koba has been. But he does still have a lot more, it's weird to say humanity, but he has humanity or, or emotions more yeah. so than Koba. And he shows pity on Malcolm and agrees to take him up to the dam and, and let him take a look. Well, and he's also the only, he's the only ape there that has positive relations has ever had a positive relation with a human so he yeah that's true he understands that humans are not all just horrible people yeah maurice even says all he's ever known about humans is cruelty and it's mm-hmm. caesar alone that's protecting the human race against these apes pretty much yeah but but maurice is much more uh open to the idea of that he's like i never knew him like you knew him though so he says he says that in sign language is like never knew him like you knew him. All I saw was their bad ways. So, so once they're up there, they they find that they can fix it and they're going to need more time. So Caesar and Coba are talking about this, and again they're arguing. And Caesar says we need to let them do their work, and they'll they'll leave. And Coba points at the scar on his face and the scar on his chest and his one eye, and he says this. Is human work. I love human. this scene. I do too. Human work. Human work. And he's pointing to each scar. Human work. And he gets angrier as he points to his face. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. But then instead of talking to him and, and having a, a civil conversation, Caesar just, uh, you know, flaunts his authority. He steps to Koba. He, he stands over him and puffs his chest out. And Koba, for the first time of, of several times, Gets down on a knee and hails Caesar and apologizes. Yeah. And the one thing I really liked was the difference between these hail uh, handshakes sort of things that they do. You know, so each one's a little bit different. So when he does it that time, like uh, it, seem, it seems Caesar, genuine there. Well, Caesar kind of like slaps it, like he's 
slaps his hand, does the dominant thing. And then when he does it the next time, it's, it's, it's completely different. Yeah. The next time Koba, he, Pulled, seems to yeah. all, all, he pulls it back. He just he, does the yeah. hail. It's like when you tell your kids to apologize for fighting and they're like, sorry. Like, like, sorry. They, they clearly don't mean they're sorry, but you know, they have to say it. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that was a nice little touch of the di- the difference between those. And after this uh, great, this is a, I'm, I'm understating it, but this whole scene is a great scene. I, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, they're I mean, building this relationship between Koba and Caesar, and they do it very effectively in the short, you know, one movie arc. Yeah. So what's what they didn't do as effectively is the human backstory, and there's more <laughs> of that. There's more of that in the tents the night before they go up to the dam again. Yeah, I didn't care. yeah, perfect place for a yada yada yada. Yeah, the humans are sleeping and camping and eating s'mores and yada yada. Their son draws pictures, whatever. Yeah, it's really they they really don't that that was my biggest issue with this movie is they don't give us much reason to 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 be on the humans side, I guess, or or to 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 just empathize or sympathize with the humans whatever it is. Yeah, it, and it's like you said, this is the scene where I kind of sympathized with Carver when he's at the camp campsite and he's mouthing off about, "Hey, what the hell are we doing? We need to just kill these apes. Why are we cooperating with these guys?" And he kind of predicts everything that's going to happen. The apes turn on them and try to kill them eventually. But it's like all these dudes at the campfire are all against Carver. And he's really not yeah. that wrong. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. I'm the asshole. And and then I think back on it and I'm like, yeah, he was right. You guys were all making him feel like the asshole, but he sort of nailed it. And he gets he gets it worst of all. No spoilers. Alerts, but Yeah, he, he definitely gets it. But they, uh, I, I kind of felt bad for Carver. But the actor, I think he, as a supporting character, was one of the best supporting characters in, in the movies that we've seen recently. I think he yeah. just does a great job of coming across like this kind of jerk, jerk yeah. of a guy. But he's like a nervous, a nervous, paranoid jerk that's, that is not, it's not just, a, he's not like just a mean guy. He's scared for his life and he's trying to figure out how to survive in this world. So yeah, he, I think he does a really good job of, of building us a, a well-rounded character in the, in the lines that he's given. Yeah. His, his jerkiness comes more from self-preservation than sadism. Yeah, he's not like, a bad guy. Like you said, he just wants to live. Yeah. Like we've, like we said, man, he's seen some shit. All right. He's not trying to go back. Yeah. They've all probably seen some real shit, but they've never seen a talking ape until now. Yeah. So it's here that we we get a a look at Koba's or I'm sorry. It's here that we get a look at Caesar's wife and, and realize that she is sick from having this baby. She's not doing well and she may even die from this illness. Uh, but yeah. before that he can deal with her, he's got to help these humans at the dam. So Maurice, as the gentle ape ambassador, goes and wakes up all the humans and says, "Come on, let's go up to the dam." So so they get up there, and while they're at the dam, Koba is nowhere to be seen. He's on his own mission, and he's going to go back to the human colony and try to find out what they're up to. Yeah, and he already followed them once. I don't think we mentioned that after they left. So Caesar said, Koba, follow them. Uh, and like sent a, he sent it out to follow and see where they were at. So he goes back now with a with a team of two or three monkeys with him, I think. Yeah, we did mention that. I mentioned it. And since you didn't remember that, I win the podcast. 
Okay. Did you mention it though? <laughs> I uh, did. I did mention it. Caesar okay. sends Cobra to, to to see them the first time. But yeah, now Cobra knows where they're at, and he goes to the armory instead of the colony, and he sees not only these humans seemingly preparing for war, but they have tons of assault weapons, which is apparently the the bane of apes. They make a big deal about guns in this movie, but in the last movie, those apes were just getting gunned down, and they were fine. Yeah, yeah, they didn't seem to be quite as affected in the last one, or or they were just better at handling it. And while Koba is at the armory, he's spotted by these goofy guard humans, and, and to save <laughs> to save his life. Uh, here's what one of my issues was that yeah, so they got these guards out behind they we cut to Gary Oldman saying, yeah, we're testing the weapons out back. And it's just two fucking idiots out there <laughs> firing just guns, shooting, shooting guns at a truck, at like a truck or something like that. And they're just like looking at each other like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they put down one gun, pick up another gun. I'm like, are they just literally sitting back there trying every single gun in the place, uh, shooting a couple bullets and laughing and giggling at each other? Like, what are these idiots? It seems like a real waste of ammo. Too. They're just getting drunk <laughs> out there and, and shooting yeah. off these guns. But they see Koba, and Koba, to preserve his life and not get shot, turns basically into a circus ape. He yeah. goes from the snarling, nasty, mean-looking Koba to an innocent, grinning, smiling Koba, and he gets to leave the humans because they're charmed by his ape wiles. Yeah. By his, like, he makes a blows raspberries at him you know and is like dancing around and and just puts him on it's just it's a beautiful transition and then even as he turns to leave like he starts to sulk off and we see his face go back down to to like the the evil looking koba and it's just the deception that he plays in in this scene and then the next scene when he's with him again is just fabulous yeah it's another great koba scene and I really wanted to see the actor with the green screen balls doing this. So I watched yeah. the deleted scenes for this one, but it wasn't there. They didn't have any scenes like that for this one. Mm. Kind of a bummer. That, that sucks because that would have been a good one. Yeah, they were <laughs> they were so funny on the last one. But yeah, uh, they didn't have that for this one. I, I wanted to see it, but it wasn't there. Uh, meanwhile, back at the dam, they find that they're going to be able to get power back to the colony. But while they're there, these pipes collapse on Carver and Malcolm. So yeah. they're, they're pulled out of the wreckage and they're saved by the apes. And while they're tending to their wounds, the baby monkey named Cornelius, Caesar's son, mm-hmm. he's there and he's charming all the humans. But he crawls over to Carver's briefcase and finds a shotgun, which was hidden amongst his possessions. Caesar specifically said, no guns no weapons, you all need to be disarmed. And this guy snuck, snuck a shotgun a, in. Yeah. Snuck a gun in. And then he goes over there and like pu- pushes, goes to push the ape, uh, goes to push the baby ape away. And then he just gets slammed by somebody, maybe Rocket. And then he goes to pick up the gun and point it. And Caesar just grabs him by the arm and just completely levels him and takes the shotgun away. Yeah, it's actually a pretty cool little mini fight scene. It's Blue Eyes that intervenes on behalf of his brother blue eyes yeah yeah blue eyes gets between him and blue eyes i didn't like the way he looked he just looked so too innocent like he looked too uh yeah in awe Lost. most of the time yeah. but when he got pissed a couple times he's great when he's pissed 
Yeah, he looked a little bit lost through the like the whole time. He's just trying to comprehend stuff, and it's. I guess he is. He's under ten years old, right? Because it's ten years later, and Caesar has no son in the last movie, so he's got to be under ten. Which in monkey years that might be a little bit older, but yeah, he's, he's still a, he's still a young learning ape. He's old enough to do shit, but he's not old enough to have figured out the world. Yeah, but in this case, he protects his brother. And then Caesar comes over, like you said, and he does like this short arm clothesline to Carver. He yanks on him with one arm and then just lays him out. I mean, this punch probably yeah. would have killed the dude. He yeah. just lays his ass out with this punch. And he's about to kill him, but Malcolm intervenes and, and begs Caesar not to kill Carver. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't. But before, I love the way Caesar, he says to Malcolm, I said no guns and as he says guns he drops the gun from his shoulder into his hand like levels it at him i like that yeah yeah i did too i was i was gonna mention that if he didn't but yeah it's like as he says guns he levels it right at at him and then all the humans are like oh my god there's an ape pointing a gun at me and they're all like whoa okay all right calm down and he's pointing it at everybody too he's like he's like spinning around like hey you you want some you want some yeah i i love the way that it's it's kind of the point of it is to show that Caesar knows how to use a gun. So, mm-hmm. you know, these dumb apes aren't so dumb. I mean, we can kill you with these guns right here and now. Yeah. But in, instead, Caesar throws the gun into the river and he tells the humans they have to leave now. Yeah. Uh, but rather than leave, Ellie and Malcolm chase after Caesar, who's now gone back to tend to his sick and dying wife. And when they see that she's dying, Cornelia, the vet finally uh, does her part or the nurse and she says i have medicine i can i can heal you just let us stay and i can save your wife's life yeah and then caesar yells you have one day yeah yeah he says it might need w- more than one day for the antibiotics to work and caesar just one, snaps at one him. day <laughs> yeah like i i'm not sure how they pulled that one off cuz those antibiotics aren't going to work after one day you got to give it a little time you wouldn't think so and when Caesar agrees to the one day, it shows blue eyes and he's pissed because now he sees the bad side of the humans, kind of like Koba does. And he's saying, dad, what are you doing? Don't let these yeah. guys stay. Kick their asses out of here. Yeah, you're fucking up, dad. Yeah. So he's kind of turning on his father. And he got a little rebellious. He's got a rebellious streak in him. Yes, he does. And at the same time, Koba is pulling him off to the side and kind of seducing him to the dark side it's like a star wars type thing he's like well humans are bad man yeah he's feeding him a little poison in his ear yeah i I love the way they they do this so perfectly they tell the story so quickly and effectively it's yeah it really it really is very clear cut and it makes great sense and you see the the arc of of the characters and stuff It, it really is well done yeah it's it's nice but when I didn't mention that, I can't believe I skipped over this, but the day that they're back working at the facility, the apes are helping the humans. And that's when Koba comes back to say that the humans have guns and they're preparing for war. So he asks for Caesar and Koba is pissed right now. He's oh, yelling yeah. across the factory. Caesar comes down and Koba says, you love these humans more than you love your own son. They're going to kill us all. You need to get rid of these guys. We need to kill them. And so we have the first of a couple amazing Caesar and Koba fistfights. Yeah, this is just kind of a Koba beatdown. Like, he just, he just takes it. 
Yeah, he fights Caesar for a second, but Caesar very quickly gets the upper hand. He's pounding him and doing the uh, the downward strike that's that's lethal the, for these apes. The double axe handle smash forearms. Yeah, he's giving him the old forearm shiver, and then he wraps his hands around his throat and he's ready to kill Koba, but instead Koba asks for forgiveness and receives it from. Well, Caesar. no, he 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 stops in the middle of choking him and he says, "Ape." not kill ape and kind of lets up but koba is just kind of out of it he's bleeding from everywhere and he's like oh oh god oh all right forgive me and then that's where he goes to do the forgive me thing but as soon as uh caesar barely touches his hand he pulls it away and scoots off it's just like sort of uh, a uh it's like you know the japanese when the japanese bow to each other the depth of the bow has like a certain meaning and so it was almost, I was reminded sort of like that, like, oh, that's a, that's a shirk. Like he's shirking him. Yeah. Like he's, he's, a... he's hailing him, but he's doing it very lightly. And it's just on the surface. He's, he's not mm-hmm. really respecting Caesar, despite Caesar showing him mercy and not killing him in this fight. Yeah. But it's, it's here then after that scene where blue eyes really starts to rebel and starts to be seduced by the words of Koba and turn against his father He's kind of a bratty, bratty teen. Yeah, he's going through those rebellious years, you know. He got almost killed by a bear, and it wasn't his dad really that saved him. It was more Koba. So, yeah, you know, now yeah. the humans are out there. They're different. He's young and uh, idealistic, and so he's latching onto the side. He wants to go to war. He wants to go fight. Yep, and he, he walks off every time Caesar tries to talk to him. But luckily, some ape-human relations are improving as Maurice goes and talks to the young kid. I guess he forms a bond with the kid of the human group. I guess uh, it's over the drawings or something. Yeah, yeah. So he, the, the kid's reading a book, and he, he did see his drawings, the ones that they returned to him in the satchel, but the kid's reading a book, and he sort of starts bonding with the son, and the son's kind of like reading the book to him or talking to him about it. And he's like, you can read? And he can kind of read, I think. Well, obviously he can because he spelled that stuff on the chalkboard earlier in the thing that we saw. Yeah, so it's not all icy between the humans. They still have, and the apes, they still have one ally in Maurice. Yeah, Maurice is still a good dude. So Koba now decides to take shit into his own hands. And he goes back to the, the human colony. And this time, he goes to the same two drunken guards that we talked about before. He gets down in front of them and he starts doing his funny circus ape stuff. They're drinking, laughing. They share some whiskey or vodka with him. He spits it all over them. Uh, basically, he's softening them up so they trust him. Yeah. And he uh, he grabs one of their guns and just kind of starts dancing around with it. And they're all like, oh, man, look at this guy. He's crazy. And in a very fluid motion, he just pulls the gun up and murders one of the yeah. guys, and then the other guy asks for you know pity or mercy, and and Koba is merciless and guns yeah. down the other guard as well. Yeah, I love, I love how well. First of all, they're drinking Johnny Blue, which is like the most expensive Johnny Walker that you can get. It's like two hundred and some dollars a bottle now, but I guess apparently you know they can just go raid like old liquor stores and get 
you know, all the old stocks from it. Oh, that's but a nice might... little detail. I didn't, I didn't know it was a good alcohol they were drinking. Yeah, yeah. And he even says something. He's like, ah, oh, this is the good stuff. And it's a bottle of Johnny Blue, which is the most expensive you can get in that. So I was just like, these two idiots just back there firing guns, drinking the best uh, scotch that you can get or one of the best scotches you can find. And then they give the bottle to him or like they go to hand him a drink because he comes up and starts doing his circus act. And he, instead of taking the cup, he grabs the whole bottle and takes a swig and spits it all out everywhere. And they, they think that's hilarious. And then just, he just so casually reaches over and grabs the gun and is swinging it around like a walking stick. And for a second, you're like, oh, oh hey, hold on, take it easy, buddy, take it easy. And then he like kind of just grabs it with the other arm. And as he's pulling it up, just goes and just rattles like, you know, a good couple squeezes off into the dude that's next to on the left. And that dude's obviously just dead. And the other guy's like, oh, shit. And he's got it pointed straight at him. But now his demeanor has changed. He's no longer that friendly circus monkey. He's like, you can see the evil in his eye. And he just waxes him right there. Yeah, it's it's yet another amazing Koba scene. All the best scenes of this movie yeah. so far have been Koba scenes. Yeah, and that's why Koba steals the show, because he's got all the good stuff. He, he They really wrote his part well. Yep, it's the Koba show here, and the point of him going to the armory was to arm himself. We'll see why, but now Koba has possession of an assault rifle, mm-hmm. as well as a couple kills under his belt. So yeah, uh, he's, he's showing a vicious side. Yeah, and, and we'll we'll go back now to the dam where they have somehow got the power back on, and they've restored power to a nearby gas station. Now, logistically, I don't know anything about this, but it seems to me like regridding power to make an entire city light up after 10 years or even a gas station that's <laughs> miles away, this is going to be almost impossible and take way more time than this. Yeah, but I don't think it would have worked with our story if it hadn't happened quicker. <laughs> so, so, like, to me, I was like, wow, they really fixed that dam up that looked just completely dilapidated and, and run down. Uh, and all of a sudden, they said that they had done some rewiring and set up the electrical grid. They kind of cover that in a little bit of dialogue. But there's all of that from between the dam to the city, you know, that's just like, that would have taken so much time. Yeah, that seemed a little unrealistic, but I'll, I'll overlook it because the story is not, not about them and their menial yeah. tasks as they try to get electricity back. So they, they get it back. Yeah. And one of the only instances of music that they have in any of these movies is when they get to the lit up gas station, one of the humans that is inside playing DJ plays the song, the weight, which mm-hmm. I've never known what the lyrics to that song are is I've never yeah, known what yeah. the lyrics are. Yeah. It's take a weight off Fanny. Take a load off Fanny. Take a take load, load free. free. Take a load off, Fanny, and put the load right on, right on me. So is Fanny a person, or is Fanny an ass that needs to have weight taken off of? (laughs) Or is it Granny that I always thought they were saying, take a load off your grandmother? I thought it was Annie. Uh, Well, the subtitles on the screen said Fanny, but it could be any of them. I think it is Fanny, and I think it's a person. Well, all right. So take a load off someone named Fanny and put it on me. I don't know if this song has any meaning to the story at all. Do you think it does? Uh, it doesn't seem to. I can't really connect it. Okay. Pulled into Nazareth. I was feeling about half past dead. Uh, I was just looking for somewhere to lay my head. 
I said, hey, wait a minute, mister. Do you know where a man could find a bed? No was all he said, and then he shook his head or something like that. Yeah, that's pretty good if you're not reading that off off a page. Oh, that's uh, – yeah, no, I know the song. But uh, I don't know how it relates lyrically to anything that we would be doing. <laughs> well, they, they use it, and that's the one song you get in all three of these movies. So if you like yeah. our music discussions, that was it. <laughs> The one modern pop song, or mo- I guess it's not modern, but, you know, the one rock song. There is a cool Sopranos episode called The Wait, which is, I'm assuming, titled after this song as well. Anyway, back to the fucking dawn of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow the dawn. Yeah, dawn is coming. The humans have their power, so presumably they can leave the apes alone. And Caesar and Malcolm share a handshake. And a bond with each other. And they say, hey, man, you trust me. I trust you. We have trust with one another. Mm -hmm. So instead of going back home, the humans go back to the ape colony for a little party, it seems like, or a celebration. They leave Carver in the car. And while he's sitting there smoking in the car, guess who comes up to his window and murders him? The evil Koba. Koba. Weak. Actually, Koba is very strong here. Yeah, Koba is strong here, and he pulls Carver out of the car and kills him. Just yanks him right out through the window, and then the patented double-hand fist smash on him, and he's dead. So one thing I noticed here, and I don't know if you picked up on it, or maybe I just am imagining it, but in the first movie, was Maurice not way bigger than everyone else? Uh, he was really big. I mean, he's in general, he's pretty big. That's what I thought. And then I'm looking at this scene here leading up to the next scene, but Maurice is sitting there and he seems to be the same size as the humans and considerably smaller than the other apes. Is Maurice just always out of scale? Because sometimes (laughs) he seems really big. Sometimes he seems smaller than the others. Maybe it was just a CGI fuck up. Yeah, maybe they screwed it up or maybe I'm just tripping, but. Maurice seemed a little out of scale a few times in this movie. But I don't want to gloss over the the real fact of this scene and the real important part of this scene is that as Koba has now snuck up to Caesar's house as Caesar is hanging with his his fam and he assassinates Caesar. Yeah. Just murders him right there, then and there. Cold blood. Yeah, he makes the executive decision that now it's time to go to war with the humans and he does it in such a way that he also, because he does it secretively, like nobody else sees him except for Caesar. So he does it to where he can use Caesar's death as a motivating factor to the rest of the apes. So it's pretty ingenious. Uh, and I, I wrote down uh, E2 Koba. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Maybe it's just because <laughs> his name is Caesar is why our minds went there. Or was this uh-huh. kind of a, a Shakespearean... Yeah kill here yeah i mean it is definitely a huge betrayal and it kind of comes out of it doesn't come out of nowhere but the extremity the the um the extreme nature of it comes quickly yeah it's certainly not out of nowhere and i kind of blame caesar here again for just not seeing the forest for the trees because it was very obvious coba had not didn't have respect for caesar anymore and he should have probably been prepared for something like this yeah maybe a little bit but that's i I just feel like coba jumps 
off the deep end. Once he gets a taste for human blood, after that, he's like, you know what? It's my time. Caesar, in his mind, can't comprehend the idea of an ape killing an ape or apes harming these other apes. He views them as a family with a bond that can't be betrayed. And so he's totally shocked when, I mean, for that moment that he sees Koba before he's killed, never to be seen again. Yeah, yeah. So he and he even says it at one point where he believe he always believed that apes were better than humans, but now he sees, you know, he sees differently. I think he well, says that la- later. Yeah, but. he saw it. Now he doesn't see anything because Caesar is dead, and will that's the character's over. Yeah, we'll not, we'll not see him again. What a plot twist! Yeah. So Koba takes <laughs> over. Koba. <laughs> And we he, wouldn't, we wouldn't McGuff you like that, you know. Oh no, we're not going to McGuff you. Caesar we're not done Mc, for. Definitely not a McGuffin. <laughs> but Copa takes command now. He blames the humans. He shows the gun as proof. He says, "Look, it's a human gun. Caesar's dead. They killed Caesar." And then he lights uh, something on fire, and he blames that on the humans too. So their colony is burning down. That's a little bit of overkill, Coba. Like <laughs> no the death intended. of Caesar. <laughs> Yeah, the death of Caesar might have just been enough. Yeah. Oh, no, he had to really sell it. The bigger the lie, the easier to swallow, and he understands that. And so he – first he sets the th- he sets it on fire. Then he shoots – or he has, like, one of his, his henchmen set it on fire. Then he shoots Caesar. Then he's like, look, everybody, they killed Caesar, and they're burning your house. Jeez, everything I've been saying is right. He says, let's go to war for Caesar in Caesar's name. But then very uh, quickly after that, he's done hearing Caesar's name. When he see, hears Caesar's yeah. name, he gets pissed. Well, and he also tells uh, what he tells Caesar's son. He's like, we will avenge your father's death. And like as a real touching moment while the whole place is burning, he's forehead to forehead with uh, Cornelius. What's his name? Cornelius? No. Blue eyes. Bru- uh, blue eyes. Blue eyes. Uh, he has a touching moment with his forehead to blue eyes, forehead saying, we'll avenge your father's death. Yeah, even though it was like he just killed him, so he's a he's a dirty he's a dirty ape. He's a dirty, dirty he's a damn, damn ape. He's a damn dirty ape. It's kind of like Lion King if uh, Scar had killed Mufasa and instead groomed oh, Simba. And he has a scar. I mean, that that makes sense too. One last cool thing from the scene I wanted to point out, and it's one of my very few favorite lines, is while the humans are chilling at the colony, they're hanging out with Maurice. And Maurice sees all this shit going down with the fire and the death of Caesar. <laughs> and, and he looks over at the humans and he says, run. Run. Was, didn't, we, didn't we say, didn't we have another favorite line where somebody said run? Uh, oh, it was, the, uh, it was Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Where he just, he's like, this foe is beyond any of you. Run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what Maurice does. And I think this might be the only time Maurice speaks. Uh, you know, like as a human, he, when he says "run," yeah, he doesn't say any, hardly anything other than that. Yeah, it, did you know that Maurice is played by a female actress? I did know that. Yeah. yeah, so I wonder if that's her saying that line and how they got her voice to sound like that. Well, all of them seem to have some distortion going on with their voice, so they alter their voices for sure. Well, it's it's a pretty cool line, and the humans do run, and they're fleeing for their lives, and they're hiding in the forest as these apes are preparing for battle and heading toward the human colony. Yeah. So the apes ride off, not straight to the colony, but they go instead to the armory. 
and they're looting the armory and, and killing the guards to get some weapons because they're going to storm the colony. Meanwhile, back at the colony, all the humans now have power, so they're celebrating in the streets, which it seems to me like maybe you would be somewhere where you're enjoying the power rather than out in the heat or, <laughs> or whatever. Like maybe, you know, do something with the power, but they're all just yeah. dancing in the streets. Uh, yeah, they're partying. They, they don't have their AC hooked up yet, so, you know. It seems like Dreyfus or Dreyfus did hook up his iPad, though. It was the first thing he did when he got power back. And this is the moment we talked about where they, they humanize Dreyfus a bit. And it's Gary Oldman's best scene in the movie when he looks mm-hmm. at the pictures of his son and his family from his past life, I guess, 10 years ago. And they're all dead, yeah. we can assume, and gone. So he cries and he, uh, you know, grips his face well, and stuff. And he ha- he has a beautiful moment where he he's looking at the pictures and he he starts to smile and and get all these good memories flooded, but it very quickly morphs into a cry, and it's just just well well done just to show the mixture of emotions going through him at that time. And you know, I literally just put that together in my head. The reason he's looking at this picture at this moment is because he has charge for his device. He was yeah, not able to access those pictures until they had power. Yeah, I didn't think of that either. Good catch. Yeah, that's very uh, that's cool because it seems like maybe he would have been looking at that picture every night, but in this case, he had to have power to see it. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, the apes hit up the armory. He, Dreyfus gets a call from the armory saying they're under attack, and now he has to prepare his people for a battle. Which what a bummer! You're in the middle of this party celebrating getting power on and. And these apes want to come murder yeah. you right now? Like, give us a day, man. Come on. Yeah, you don't even get to celebrate that long before all of a sudden it's just you're under attack and now it's straight bloody warfare. Yep. And these apes have an entire battalion of horses. Every <laughs> ape is on horseback, it seems like. Yeah, there's a lot of them. They come riding up. Uh, the, the humans start shooting assault rifles at them. They're picking them off. It's a great action scene. So in the last movie, when the apes escaped the sanctuary there's that action scene it's big action montage that's mm-hmm. this scene i think for this movie they, they give you a nice five ten minutes yeah. of just pure explosions and action yeah and it's it's at night and it's it's dark but there's like fires and, and lights lit up now so it's a really really cool lighting going on with with the whole thing and the apes come storming down the street and the the humans are waiting up at their their walled in fence or whatever their their huge wall and they have they have their guns ready, but the apes come out of the mist of the of the road and start firing first and get off the first shots. So they put them on the defensive really quickly. What did you think of the speech that uh, Gary Oldman gives before they show up? Uh, it's kind of cool. Like he talks about them being is just because they have they ha- may have gotten some of our weapons, but just because they they have the are their weapons does not make them men. And we are survivors, and, and it's, it's not a bad little speech. It seemed like an above-average speech, which I actually loved, because as the character, he probably wasn't this public speaker before the world ended. So he should yeah, or, be perfect at it. He should just see, be better than everyone else. Yeah, or even a military leader, maybe. So who knows, who knows how much experience he has in that department, or any of them have in fighting, really. So it's, again, not a bad Oldman scene. I just didn't think there was enough for him or for the character 
Yeah, I agree. I, I wish it would. I wish he got a little bit more stuff in general in the whole movie. But yeah, he. I think he does a good job with what he's got. But they really wanted to give the spotlight to Koba, and they do here in this battle. Koba single-handedly defeats the humans, though he does uh, have to kill yeah. several apes to do it. At, at, yeah. At one point, he knocks another ape off a horse and steals his horse. He. He picks up yeah. guns off dead apes. He's blasting them with his tank. Like, he steals a tank. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's like the the part, because when they first charge the walls, they're getting they're getting beat back pretty bad, and, and apes are getting shot all around, and the other apes are freaking out. Blue Eyes is freaking out. He's hiding behind stuff. And then all of a sudden, they see Koba jump on it, well, kick another ape off of his horse and grab two guns, and he's got a gun in each arm just riding up like crazy horse in front of the, but you know, across the cavalry's front lines shooting and not getting shot, but, but just taking them all on himself. And that kind of empowers the other apes to get up and fight back a little bit more. It's a badass moment for Kobo. What a, what a warrior. Like stealing yeah, that yeah. tank. I know that they were going for Hollywood, make it look cool, but what a badass man. He steals a tank and just runs right over their defenses. Yeah, he's definitely the most badass ape in this film for for sure. Like physically and and just a warrior, an absolute warrior. Yep. So he he pretty much single handedly wins it for the apes, and they're now going to enslave the the human survivors. Oh yeah, and you were talking about the the tank part, which is one of the best parts because there's a there's two humans in a tank. There's a gunner and a driver. And they're driving through and starting to attack the apes and all the humans are cheering. They're like, oh, yeah, this is great. And Koba sees it and just immediately jumps on the tank and takes out the gunner, crawls inside the hole and takes out the driver. And is just I don't know who's still driving the tank. Nobody, but it's still moving. And he's he's got the gun. He's on the gunner position on top, firing in at the humans. And and in no time, they just crash the doors down and and have, have broken through the wall. He's probably driving it with his feet, man. Oh, he could be, yeah. He could be I using his feet that. and his hands. He could be using two guns and driving a tank with his feet. Yeah. And that is badass. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that's canon. He, w- he was definitely using his feet to drive the tank. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they win the battle, and so now the last remaining humans, maybe even on Earth for all we know, are going to be enslaved by these apes led by Koba. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Caesar's dead, so there's there's no one alive to stop them. Yeah, Caesar died a while back, and we know there's no coming back for him. Or is there? Oh, oh, MacGuffin! MacGuffin time, because the next scene, the humans that are good, Malcolm and Ellie and Alexander, are wandering now through the remains of the ape colony, and they stumble upon the nearly dead but still breathing body of Caesar. Well, and it's like his eyes are open like he's dead. So you think, oh, fuck, he is dead. And then all of a sudden his eyes slowly start to turn towards them and see him. And you realize he's not completely dead. No, and he's actually not really that bad off. They get him to uh, the car and he's able to talk. And the first thing he wants to know is what happened to his family. He finds out they're all still alive, but they're all uh, now being under the yoke of of Koba. And so yeah. he resolves to, to put a stop to that, but he really can't until he heals from his bullet wound. Yeah. So he's, he's, weak. he's weak. Yeah, he's very weak, and he's distraught over his family. So they're going to mm-hmm. take him to get medicine and hopefully heal up so he can take back his ape family. 
Yeah. And speaking of his ape family, it gets a little smaller here in this very memorable scene for me. The apes are storming now the interior of the colony, and they're chasing these survivors up these steps. They're about to kill a couple of them, and Koba says, don't kill these ones. Ash, you have to do it. So he tells Rocket's son that he has to murder these humans, I guess as an initiation. Yeah. yeah. So Ash doesn't want to do it, and he says, Caesar wouldn't have wanted this. And at the mere mention of Caesar's name, Koba gets so pissed that he grabs this kid, this teenage ape, by the nape of the neck and throws him off a balcony, killing him. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty that's the that's that's where we know there's no coming back for Koba. Yeah, Koba's gone too far here. Yeah, because and it almost seems like for a second he's not gonna do it. So he says, kill him. And he starts to walk up and, and Ash says, This is not what Caesar would have wanted. And he walks kind of walks down slowly and puts his arm around him. And then all of a sudden just lets out a big monkey scream and grabs him by the scruff of the neck, drags him up the stairs, like scoops him up like a little baby and just tosses him two arms over the edge of this of this third ba- story balcony or whatever to his death. And that's when he, t- he turns to him and says, Caesar is gone. Apes follow Koba now. Yeah. They zoom in on his face when he says that too. And it's, he's so sinister looking. He just looks so nasty. Yeah. But the apes in the first movie jumping out of those fifth and sixth story windows, I guess as long as they can control the way they're landing, they can survive. <laughs> yeah, sure, I guess. The poor ass just couldn't rotate his body enough and he just landed yeah. on his back and died. Yeah. Well, they're not cats, they're apes, so. So he just murdered this teenage ape. That's a pretty brutal scene, man. Especially that one of the apes that was injured that he was defending uh, so long ago saying, you know, he... This this ape got shot by the by the humans and Caesar loves humans more than he loves apes. And then he just kills that one. Then yeah, then he just turns around and kills the kills him. Yeah. So after that, he starts to realize that not everyone is on his side, and some people are still thinking about Caesar. So he locks up mm-hmm. those loyal to Caesar, including Rocket, Luca, uh, Maurice, Maurice, of course. Yeah. So they're all in the cages, and he's leading the remaining apes to the essential, essentially the slaughter and enslavement of the humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caesar takes the humans to his old house, I guess, to get medicine, or what? What was the purpose of going there? Well, they needed a safe house. They needed to go somewhere safe because they couldn't go back to the the colony because it was being stormed by the by the apes. So Caesar leads them to this house, to the old house of, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Will. Will. Yeah. His, his, his old house essentially. And they go there for a safe spot. That's right outside of the city or right outside of the, uh, compound. So the house looked like it was still in pretty good shape considering it went through the apocalypse over the last 10 years. There was well, there was it, ivy yeah. and stuff on the outside, but the inside it didn't look like it was uh, looted or anything. Well, it wasn't looted or anything, but it was definitely busted up and fallen apart so, and dusty and all that stuff. So, but they they stay there for a minute, but they know that they need more medicine to to heal Caesar. So, uh, Malcolm goes back to his colony and he has to sneak in and try and get medicine while all the apes are are prowling, having taken over. He's mm-hmm. he's spotted by luckily for him 
Caesar's son, Blue Eyes, and he says, listen, man, don't kill me. I know that your dad's still alive. He recognizes Blue Eyes from their time together. So Blue Eyes goes with him back to Will's old house, and he sees that Caesar is still alive. And it's a pretty nice Mm -hmm. scene there between those two, I think. Yeah, and he he tells them that for now the uh, the his wife and his son are are okay for now, but what what Akoba has just called for all the women and children to be brought to the compound. So Blue Eyes goes back himself, and he does like a little Batman thing. He he puts the symbol of Caesar on, on like a dusty car window or something mm-hmm. to let all the loyal apes know that Caesar's still alive, and then he frees them. Why? Why did he have to draw the symbol if he's about to free them anyway? Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess to give them the heads up of like, hey, uh, this is the mark of Caesar, and he's, and I'm, I'm gonna set you free or something. So be ready. So he and they and they kind of do play a part because that there's I don't know why, but a bunch of apes run up to the window, and then they grab them and hold them and then tip the bus over on top of them. So it's kind of a strange little scene there. I didn't understand the, what what the point of that was, but. They're they're free. They're free now. Yeah, I didn't totally understand the scene, but I guess they were just freeing the good apes so that it wasn't this entire army of apes loyal to Koba. At least it maybe could be somewhat uh, even on the two sides. Yeah. But there's one of my favorite scenes next, and that's right before Caesar leaves his house. He's been taking the medicine. He's getting better. But he's looking through some of his old things, and he finds a video recorder as well. Which how, how did he charge his? How did, yeah, how did that one have electricity, huh? <laughs> Maybe it ran I off guess. batteries or something. I don't know. Well, those old cameras used to, but it's plugged in, and he unplugs it, and it like all turns green and starts playing like normal. And uh, so maybe when the electricity came back to the those guys, it came back to the, to that house too. Yeah, they restored power to the entire city. Apparently, yeah. San Francisco now is fully powered. Yep. But the by, by one, one day, old dam, yeah, the one damn dam. <laughs> but it, it's a nice scene when he's watching the camcorder and he sees himself as a young chimp playing with James Franco, uh, Will, and yeah. there he's teaching him how to talk. And I guess the point of the scene is to remind Caesar that some humans are good. And what I don't, I don't really know what the point is actually. I think that's that. I think you're right. I think it's to remind Caesar that, hey, you know, like there are humans that are still good. But I think he already kind of knows that. So I don't I don't know if we needed it. It may probably just to get James Franco a check. Well, the reason I like it is because this whole movie season's been this old, gray, hardened leader. And it's nice to think back to the first movie when he was a cute young chimp doing cute things and Innocent, and being innocent we, yeah, yeah, we felt sorry for him at times. So it was, it was nice to see him as a as a youngster again. Yeah. But after that, it's time now for Caesar to reclaim what is his or what once was his. Uh, I noticed that Gary Oldman's character escaped somehow when the apes took over. He wasn't captured. Yeah, he got out. Yeah. Him and a cu- him and a couple other people because they're down below in the tower when we see him next right yeah there there's a railway track or something below this tower that they live in and this tower is enormous so he has a new plan now and it involves using c4 that they've wired across this tower to blow up the tower and all the the, yeah and all the monkeys are up on the tower like hanging out 
Yeah, so he's going to kill all the apes by doing that. I'm not so sure about this plan. It seems... Uh... <laughs> yeah, especially the way he executes it. I mean, God, yeah. love him for, God love him for trying, but man, you didn't have to make yourself a martyr. Yeah, is that is that where you fall into? Is you just, you're going to blow up everything? You know, total yeah. destruction? What's it, scorched earth? Yeah, just, just kill them all. Kill yourself. Kill everything. Well, he does actually, spoiler alert, he does end up blowing it up, but it doesn't kill any of the apes. It has no effect. Like it was a poor, it was a poorly laid out plan. I think. Yeah, it was a very poor plan. But his plan is to blow it up. Malcolm gets down there in time to stop him. And there's a somewhat tense scene where Malcolm has to steal a gun from a guard, kind of like Koba did, and he holds all of them hostage, saying that Caesar needs more time to convince these apes to to be humane. I, I actually love this part because. He he says he's up there right now, and Gary Oldman's just got this look of like, what the fuck? And he just goes, "Who's up there?" <laughs> he's like, "What are you What are you talking about?" Because they don't know Caesar like uh, like Malcolm knows Caesar, so yeah, they just see it, um, them all as a threat. And there's just the look of confusion on his face when he goes, "Who is up there?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually like that too because he even says later on. I know it sounds crazy. You just have to trust me. And he does sound completely insane. He's like, no, I, I got this ape. He's going to take care of everything. Just give me a little bit now, more time. Yeah, he's a good ape. He's a friend of mine. But he's holding them hostage. And I'll just – the scenes are interspersed with what's going on with the apes. But I'll just go ahead and say what happens the rest of the way with these guys. And it's – as things are going on upstairs, Gary Oldman eventually just grabs the trigger, the detonator for the C4 – holds it up, and he says, I'm going to blow everything up, and he does. And he just blows up the yeah. tower. And, and he's like, the guy goes, what are you doing? He's like, I'm saving humanity. Click. Yeah, and he clicks it. We should also point out that he said that he'd called in a nearby military group. Like, oh, that's important. Yeah, they did finally get radio signal out to somebody, so that was one of the big reasons why they wanted electricity was so they could get their radio up and running to find out if there were more groups of people out there that they could contact. So <clears throat> yeah, they, he had, he had contacted a uh, military group nearby and they were on the way. So he's thinking that they will come and, and kill all the apes and, and save uh, the survivors there. But just in case he's got C4 rigged up all over the place to blow pretty much just himself and everyone in the room up. Yeah, there's at least at least two guards, Malcolm and him. And he blows yeah. up the C4 on all of them. Yet somehow yeah. Malcolm survives this. How the hell does he yeah. survive this? Well, Malcolm dives into the railroad tracks and gets kind of under the railroad track uh, wall and shields himself from the blast. That's how, that's how he survives. But even then, it's it's a little sketchy of like how he's the only one that got out. Yeah, and so it's a finish mostly to the human storyline there. Yeah, and I didn't need Malcolm anymore. We could have killed him there. Yeah, we could have killed him. I didn't need any of this. And the reason I wanted to do it all at once is because I didn't want to interrupt the amazing battle between Caesar and Koba up on top of the uh, tower. Yeah, this is probably the real climax right here. Yeah. yeah, this is the real climax, and this is the best scene in all three movies, I will say, is the fight between these two. Yeah, it's good. So they're up on top of the tower, and he's crossing these beams one on each side of each beam, and they're talking shit to each other. All the apes are around. It's like a Coliseum fight, almost. Yeah. 
and uh, Koba says to Caesar, you know, get out of here. You don't belong here. I lead the apes now. And it leads to a fight. Oh, yeah. He says, he says uh, Caesar has no place here. And he says something to the effect of Caesar is weak. And then Caesar looks at him and goes, Koba is weaker. Yeah. <laughs> that gets that sets Koba off because Koba has a gun. He could have just offed him at that point, but he throws the gun down. He's like, no, nah, I'm gonna beat you like a real not man to man, but I guess ape to ape. I'm gonna beat you like a real ape beat down. Yeah. Well, you actually said it. It's one of my favorite lines. It's one of the only lines I always remember from this. I love when Caesar says, Koba weaker. Because yeah. Caesar's not one for trash talk. So just that little bit of trash talk out of Caesar is great. Yeah. And he lets him know. And then they, that's and when the brawl even, starts. Even as weak as Caesar is, he still is, like, he's still stronger than Koba, essentially. Yep. So they fight. If you're interested and you haven't seen this movie, you have to watch the fight. I'm not going to describe blow for blow what goes on, but it's amazing. They're falling off the tower. They're they're punching, they're blocking, they're parrying, they have weapons. It's just, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good, really good fight. The one part I did want to mention that I like the most is when Koba gets a weapon. He's get a, he has a steel rod and he's swinging it at Caesar. And Caesar, Caesar jumps up and swings on a rod above him and uses his foot to parry this, this bar back into an open wound that had already been on Koba. So it's oh, like yeah, and he keeps... He keeps working that wound too. Like he keeps, yeah, he catches the bar and pushes it right back into his wound and is like, and you could just tell Koba's getting beat up and he's getting sore about it. Yeah, I love that part. So that's the only part I'll say is specifically in this fight, but it ends when Caesar knocks Koba down a decent way. Well, actually, it doesn't end there. When, when uh, Dreyfus or Dreyfus blows up the tower. Mm-hmm. All the apes get knocked sideways, and they're all like laying around. Koba gets up and steals a gun from a dead ape, or not actually. The ape's not dead yet. He's, oh, yeah. he's dying. He's dying with a with like a steel rod trapped on top of him, and he he picks up the steel rod just to grab the gun, and then drops the steel <laughs> rod right back down on the monkey. <laughs> yeah, I really love that. It's like all you had to do is yeah. just drop it to the side, but now he's like, screw it. I'm just gonna drop it on this guy. Just to yeah, be a he's dick. Like, he's like, fuck it, I'm evil now. He goes to shoot at Caesar, and he misses and just ends up shooting a bunch of other apes. So he's killing. He's probably killed 10 or more of his own kind at this point in the movie. Uh, yeah. he, he's killed a lot of apes to get to where he is, and Caesar has to stop it. So he does this huge leap down, like you know, dozens of feet, lands on him, knocks him off a cliff, and as Koba is hanging there begging for his life, he goes to hail Caesar one last time, and he says, Caesar, ape, not kill ape. And Caesar says, Koba is not ape. And he, he stomps his foot or whatever and, and lets him go. Yeah. Well, he lifts his hand up like he's going to grab him and pull him up, and he says, Koba is not ape. Koba deserves to be dead or whatever, deserves to be in a cage <laughs> or something like that. And then he just lets him go and lets him fall. But the interesting thing to me was when he let him fall, Koba kind of like catches himself on something and swings around, and then hits a uh, something that's fallen across the middle of the the drop, and then the whole thing goes crashing down. I was like, I was like, did that kill him? I don't know if he's if he's dead. Yeah, I, I thought there was a chance he may have lived through that as well. Actually, yeah, 
but I think he he doesn't. Well, he doesn't show up in the next movie, unfortunately. So that's that's well, the end of Koba. Maybe the fourth one. Is it a spoiler to say that he's not in a movie? If he, yeah. Especially if he died in this movie. Yeah, I win the podcast. Oh, oh, no, yeah. it's not because he actually is in the next movie in a in a flashback. Oh, that's a flashback. That doesn't count. It counts. So that's Koba. That's the end of Koba. And that's basically the end of the movie. So they all hail Caesar. Caesar says one last goodbye to the mysteriously alive Malcolm. <laughs> so, so Malcolm escapes with his family. He has the kid and his girlfriend, but we never see them again. So yeah, there goes. Thank that. God. Yeah, there's that. His story's over. Thank God. Get rid of that storyline. Yep, it's gone, and the dawn is over. That's uh, it ends. Zooming in yeah. on Caesar's face, just like it began. Yep, and he knows he's got a lot of work to do because Koba fucked all all the relations, and now it's going to be straight up war. Yep, it, we're we're moving from the dawn to the war, and there's no going back because we're left with the only cliffhanger being that this army is coming to fight the apes, so they're going to have to retreat or fight this uh, yep. army that's coming to kill them. Yep, not quite the uh, build up to the next movie as the first one, I think, but it's it's still a decent lead in. I mean, it, yeah, I guess you're I guess you're right. Like it doesn't it doesn't leave us with as much anticipation for the next one. But still, overall, this one satisfied a lot more of our itch, I think. Yeah, and I said at the beginning this was my favorite of the three, and I still I stand by that. This movie's well, it's awesome. Yeah, I'm only halfway through the sec uh, the third one, and I, I can already tell this one's my favorite of the three too. So, well, before we get to the grades for this movie, did you have any favorite lines for Dawn of the uh, Planet of the Apes? I think we said uh, I said them all. Uh, first off, I wrote down. Human lies. From, where Koba. From Koba. Where, yeah, Koba says human lies. And also, oh, Caesar is talking about Koba, and he says, from, hub- from humans, Koba learned hate, nothing else. When he's talking about, that, when Blue Eyes is talking to Caesar about, Koba says that we should fear all humans and, and attack them. And he said, from humans, Koba learned hate, but nothing else. And then human work, human work, human work, human work. Yeah. I he's, love point, that he's point. Yeah. He's pointing out all of his scars that the humans caused him. And it, it really just makes you realize why Koba hates humans so much. Yeah. I'm, I'm giving MVP of this movie to Koba, even over Caesar. Oh yeah. Easy, easy MVP. And we're, we're the biggest Andy circus marks that I know. I mean, I don't know anyone else that praises him as much as we do, but I still mm-hmm. give it to Koba in this one. And the actor that played Kobe, I mean, he had to have done a great job. If we're going to say yeah, that, he did. that circus always does such a good job for the CGI, we got to say the same thing about, you know, this guy. Yeah, he did. He did because the the range of emotions that and the the turning it on and turning it off that Koba does and the deception of Koba like that's one of my favorite things is just the his ability to to be deceptive and be and to deceive not only humans when he does when he deceives the humans but also the other monkeys yeah i was i was very sad to see him go and that's a big part of the reason the third movie falls a little flat for me mm-hmm. uh, did you have any other favorite lines or did you say them all Nope, that's that's all mine. All right, well, I had a couple as well. Uh, one of them is from Carver, the human, 
whenever they're on their way home from meeting the apes for the first time and and Malcolm says, man, that was incredible. And Carver says, incredible? They're talking apes with big-ass spears. Oh, and he says something after that, too. He's like, the the, the lead ape, he was, he was tremendous or magnificent or something. He goes, is that what you thought of him? <laughs> yeah, he, hey. yeah. Carver's scared yeah. the shit of these apes. Yeah. I also liked when Maurice said run. I pointed that out, but it, it's, I like that one a lot. When Caesar tells, uh, what's the fucking guy's name? The Malcolm. When Caesar, mm-hmm. when Caesar tells Malcolm, uh, okay, I'm gonna start this one more time. When Caesar tells Blue Eyes at the house, <laughs> Blue Eyes says, "Come back, Dad. The apes will follow you." And he says, "No, I'm weak right now. Apes always seek the strongest branch." So that's uh, yeah. something I'd never thought of, which is kind of cool. You know, they're gonna they're gonna mm-hmm. go for the strongest thing there is to latch onto. Yeah, they'll follow the strongest leader. Yep. And then my favorite line is when Coba says, "Caesar weak," and Co- and Caesar says, "Coba weaker," and then yeah. then the brawl starts. Yeah, and there's one one line in there too that they say that I like too, where he he says, "Coba." win war for apes and he's like no Koba win war for Koba yeah yeah that was a good one. Oh, Koba Bryant is a one man show <laughs> he's the black mama buckets yeah <laughs> see I wish I wish Kobe was still around so we could say things like oh he never wanted to pass the ball you know things like that but but you can't give him yeah. a hard time now you know like <laughs> can't can't trash him now and to be fair I I love Kobe Bryant as a player he's he's a legend yeah, yeah, I, I always liked him as a player too, but uh, I, I, you know, I tend to fall on the side that he was. Well, I just argue a lot with people out here because there's a lot of Lakers fans out here. So who is better, Kobe or LeBron? So I always fall on the LeBron side, and that that usually makes me the villain of every party. Yeah, you've tried to defend LeBron to me before, and it does make you a villain. It's just even if you really think that, like, just keep it to yourself. You know, no one cares about <laughs> saying LeBron's yeah. great. Yeah, don't don't talk about the truth. Yeah, if you think it's the truth, I mean, just keep it to yourself. No one wants to hear about it. <laughs> okay. But I will ask your opinion on your grade for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Well, this, as I was saying, this is I like this one better than the last one, and I think I'm going to like it better than the next one. And uh, it was a really good movie. Like I watched it two and a half times. It, uh, and I like it a lot. And I didn't think that I would like the Planet of the Ace movies this much, but uh, but I've been, I've been getting into them. And I, I went with a 17 out of 20 on this one because it's, it is rewatchable to the 10th degree. It is entertaining. It's got an element of sci-fi, an element of horror, an element of action. It's the element of drama. You know, it's, it's a pretty well-rounded movie. And like we were saying earlier with the script, the script develops all this stuff in such a tight way and gets to the end of the story and gives us this full story. That's really not, it doesn't have much to do with the prior movie uh, uh, other than we know what's going on. The whole script is still focused on moving the story forward and there's no wasted dialogue. There's no, there's not much wasted scenes I can think of. And it's just, I think it's a superb, a superb movie. You know, yeah, I think you, it's really good. You could watch this as a standalone movie, I think, 
outside of the series and know what's going on and not miss anything. Yeah. Yeah. It, it stands fine on its own. And, uh, and I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I could watch this series once a year, but not once a month. So, mm-hmm. so the movies that are going to get 19s and 20s for me, I could watch them anytime they're on. Like when I said, yeah, Goodfellas, Lord yeah. of the Rings, anytime I see them, I can watch them. Yeah. You could just sit down and rewatch it, rewatch it. This one is not so much of that. Like, yeah, it's, but it's still a good movie. Every time it's on, you'll probably be like, Oh, I like this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good enough to own. I own the DVD for all three of these movies. So it's, I'm not trying to knock it when I say that, but it's not going to get a perfect score because it's not a perfect movie, especially mm-hmm. the, the human element of it. I thought was the weakest of the three movies. They tried to focus somewhat on the human element, but the main story was Coba and, and Caesar. And I was fine with that. Yeah. But it's going to lower the grade just a little bit. So I'm going to give it a 17 and a half. Oh, and, I knew you were going to do that. And that's slightly lower than the Rotten Tomatoes grade, but I didn't think it was worth even 18. You're just a one-upper. You just wait for me to give my grade, and then you give it a half point higher. No, it seems that way, but I wrote down the grade. So, it's you know, I could send you the notes if you want that. Oh, yeah, right. I don't believe human lies. <laughs> Human lies. Okay, it's a twenty. I give it a twenty out of twenty. It's a perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. no, yeah, I, it, that that makes sense. I really wanted to go higher than than that, but I I didn't think I could because of the things I mentioned. So I think seventeen and a half is still a really good grade. Yeah, and I rated it two full points ahead of uh, of the last film. So I feel like you were a little bit hard on the last film. Yeah, Fifteen out of twenty. What did I give it? Uh, 16 and a half. half. The last film was entertaining, but it was not as well done as this one. That's just what it comes down to. Yeah. Like the last one. And that's a pretty good grade. 15 out of 20 is a pretty good grade. uh, grade. That's 75%. And then now I've upped it another 10%. So it looks like 85% or something like that. So, um, yeah, so I think I think I did it right. Yeah, they did a better job with with the human aspect of it in the last movie, and it led to it being a worse movie. So maybe that's the point. Maybe they people want apes; they just need to show you the apes. You know, give me the apes, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm watching this. I'm watching the third one now. So it doesn't seem nearly as entertaining, but there's a lot more talking, and then there is a fun character that I like coming up in the next one. So. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to get into the third one because I distinctively like that the least of the three. Mm-hmm. And it's still yeah. a good movie, but there are things that I have some problems with. And we'll get to that next week. But it's yeah. it's it's once again one of those rare series where the the middle the middle movie is the best of the three. As the best, yeah. Yeah. That that is kind of rare, but Usually it's the bridge to the the first and the third, or it's like the bridge to that. So, so it doesn't stand out as much. But in this one, I think it takes the takes the golden trophy home. Yep, and we'll have some trophies coming up after the uh, next the next show with the award show. Yeah, I'm already thinking about it. There's no golden stiffy. There's no best female <laughs> act. Like, what are we gonna do, man? There's it's gonna be yeah. tough again. That's. I mean, there's. There is one female, I think, in every show almost. I don't know about the third one. So we're going to have a, a, a race between two or three maybe for that. For that. But I think it would be even more interesting to see who gets the gold, uh, Mighty Moisturizer. 
Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> we're gonna get into our animalistic side. I think. Yeah. Well, not by choice, but by necessity. Yeah. Little, well, let's let's do a merry fuck kill with only apes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll be that'll be fun. That'll be a good. Yeah. One. Uh, it just makes me want to petition to Hollywood every week and be like, "Yo, start having some fairness in in these roles. Like, give women some shit sometimes, you know?" Yeah. Imagine if you were a female actor, just being like, "Uh, yeah." Hello, here I am. Use me. Hey, I'm good too. I shouldn't even say use me because that's a whole different can of worms when it comes to this shit. <laughs> the James yeah, Franco's and the Harvey Weinstein's of the world. We we get what you mean though, yeah. I get what you mean. <laughs> are we are we can we lump in James Franco with Weinstein yet, or is it still up in the air? I mean, it sounds like he's getting close to it. it sounds like he's almost there. Oh god. <laughs> but I don't know. Weinstein Weinstein really really uh he really set himself apart from the creepos. He he went the extra mile. Well, I hope it's not that bad because I really want to like the guy, but I'm not going to give anyone the benefit of the doubt anymore. Yeah, you know, until the truth comes don't. out. Don't, don't. You'll just regret it later. Yeah, and speaking of regretting least... things later, I'm going to have to edit all this out. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no way. No, nothing. Nothing's that bad. You don't think? I, I don't want to incriminate James Franco when he's in the middle of a. A trial or accuse him of anything we're not incriminating we're just reporting of what we heard you know yeah that's true it's 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 just uh, uh, and it's it, out in the world it it sounds bad for him i'm not gonna lie it's like right now <laughs> things sound bad for deshaun watson yeah they okay? do they do sound really bad for him yeah so it's like uh, i'm not saying he's guilty of any of the things that people that that the multiple people are accusing him of but when there's multiple people accusing you of it it usually doesn't end well for you yeah that's uh, not a good look for him. And I guess it's no yeah. worse than saying that John Voight was dead. Is, uh, is that slander? Can, can you say someone's dead? Is that considered slander? Is that an insult? No, that's not slander. I didn't say anything bad about him. If he was dead, that mean, it doesn't mean he's a bad person. Isn't being dead bad, though? <laughs> bad, uh, yeah, bad for the friends and family, I suppose. Well, you could be hurting his brand. You know, what if someone listened to you say that and they're like, well, I'm not going to give John Voight any more ad opportunities? He's dead. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're a lawyer out there, you want to make a case for it, go ahead. But uh, I don't think I don't think you got much ground to stand on. Well, that's how uh, good lawyers are born. You, know, you think outside because I could. I could make a counter case that being dead actually sells more for your brand than uh than being alive take a look at um a lot of the greatest rock stars of our time that died early that live on for to this day in in fame because they died early yeah but we're talking or john james Voight. dean john void is not dean. james dean or a rock star well if he died we don't know how they would react he would have to admit to his mediocrity i think in death to to make the case that he's not gonna he's not gonna profit from being dead you know, listen, uh, I'm, I'm a middling actor, okay? So, you know, I'm not going to profit off this being dead. I'm just dead. Well, James Dean only did three movies, okay? So he definitely, his, he got really famous off those three movies. He's famous because of the sausages. They're not his sausages. That's not his. You don't think <laughs> of James Dean every time you eat a Jimmy Dean? <laughs> that's not, it's a complete different, that's not his brand. It doesn't matter. He's, I mean, it's the same thing. <laughs> That's not why he's famous, no. <laughs> you have lost this podcast in epic fashion. Whatever. 
All right, yeah. let's wrap this one up. Hopefully it overlaps so I can cut you being wrong about James Dean. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you have any – oh, wait, no, hold on. Where – what is our email address? Uh, RancidTacoPodcast at gmail.com. Very good, sir. Hail – Yeah. Hail Payment. Payman? Yeah, Hail Payment. Hail Mary Moss. Hail Melkor. Hail Caesar. And hail Brando. <laughs> and hail Blix. No. <laughs> uh, I guess I I guess I should expect it every time I help Brando now you're gonna help Blix. I actually I I permitted Brando with you. I cleared it with you, so I should probably stop with Blix. I'm sorry. Hail Defoe. Uh, hail Defoe. Hail Defoe. Hail Defoe. All right. It just seems like I don't want to forget Blix, you know? Yeah, well, you're the only one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Speaking Uh, of the only one, there is literally maybe one person in the world that made it this far in the podcast. Hey, if you're out there listening, hey, I got to give a shout out too for my coworker, Nick Buenrostro, who gave me his Voodoo account to watch this film. And now I get to watch it. bastard. Just well, I told, pay the I told fucking, you. <laughs> pay the I three told, fucking dollars. It's definitely worth the price of admission, just not my price of admission, okay? Oh, my God. <laughs> he gave me his Voodoo account, and I got to watch it in Blu-ray, which is probably even better than what you watched it in your fucking old junk ray. I, I don't even know what ray. You, it's I don't even know what ray you're watching. Yeah, it's Blu-ray. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty sweet, huh? That's all right. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, Blu-ray kicks ass. Well, thanks to your but money anyway, for saving you the three dollars, cheap ass. Yeah, and I get to watch the next one. And he's got a whole list of good movies on there. He's got the whole Lord of the Rings on there. I could have done that. Man, I should have contacted him earlier. Yep. Well, all right. Well, shout out to him. And I'm gonna. I saved the shout out for the end of the episode. So now he has to listen to the whole episode to hear his shout out. All right. Well, he is the one. That's marketing yep. right there. All right. Well, <laughs> did you have anything else to add about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Well, it's just the dawn, so <laughs> it's just the dawn. We still got a we, got we a still got a whole day ahead of us. <laughs> We've gone through all this, and we still have a whole day ahead of us. Yep, you better get uh, get some good food in you, man, because it's gonna be a yeah. long war of the Planet of the Apes next week. This war better last the whole fucking day. The war and peace of the Planet of the Apes <laughs> by Tolstoy. Yeah. All right. Well, on that right. on that note. Thanks everybody for listening and we will Thanks. We will see you next week. See you later. Everyone loves movies from Webster to Morocco. Who needs rotten tomatoes when you've got the rancid tacos? This podcast is brought to you by West Virginia Pepperoni Rolls.